Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to help you understand the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, February 23rd, 2024. I'm Brian Peterangelo, and welcome to the podcast. With me, I would like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to provide their insights on this week's market activity and more. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, and Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each week. In addition, if you have any questions or need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. Taking a look at this week's market and economic news, we've got three updates for you in the shortened week due to President's Day on this past Monday. First up, the conference board's measure of leading economic indicators showed that there was a decline of 0.4% for January. However, it was the first time in the past two years that 6 out of 10, or the vast majority of the 10 indicators, were providing a positive contribution. So there might be a little bit of turnaround in their overall signal. Second, during the middle of the week, the Federal Reserve came out with their meeting minutes from the FOMC meeting back on January 31st. All indicators were consistent with what they said at the live press conference, but at the end of the day, they're still calling for, again, lesser than more interest rate cuts in 2024. We'll get Rajiv's take on that later on in the podcast. And finally, the initial weekly unemployment claims came in at 201,000 for the week ending February 17th, which were down 12,000 from the prior week's reading, again showing that resilience that we've talked about consistently in the overall employment market. Lastly, I think the big news for the week happened to be a bunch of tech earnings, in particular one company, which we'll get Steve's read on early in the podcast. And the basic question comes down to, is this an old-fashioned tech rally, just like the 1990s, or there is something different going on here in the fact that we're in the 2024 era? Steve, what are your thoughts? Well, Brian, it was a heck of a week this week for technology, and you're right that there are some echoes of that internet bubble from 1999 to 2001, but it's also very clear that this is not the same thing. And you know, NVIDIA is the, the, the key mover this time. NVIDIA is the, the semiconductor company that uh, is responsible for this whole AI boom. And, you know, what they do is they, they, they used to, they grew up basically being a, 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 what's called a GPU producer, which is graphics chips. So if you think about stuff that when you, when you put your, uh, video on your screen, the stuff that makes your video on your computer screen go faster were were originally chips from NVIDIA. And what they did a a number of years ago is they kind of changed their their business and started to find multiple uses for these high-powered chips. Um, At first, they were powering Bitcoin mining rigs and things like this, but very soon we saw them uh, branch into this Alter, uh, artificial intelligence area and and things have have never been the same since and 
know, this quarter we saw them now for the fourth quarter in a row have a material beat and raise. Um, and, you know, when you look at it, you, you've got to look at it and come to the conclusion that NVIDIA at this point looks like they're going to be the dominant uh, AI architecture slash ecosystem in technology as we undergo this major shift toward parallel processing computing. Um, when you take a step back and, and look at how the technology market has historically evolved, every one of these kind of eras that we go through in technology seems to be dominated by one major uh, vertically integrated chip slash hardware slash software company. Um, think IBM mainframes in the 70s and 80s, Apple in the smartphone market. Um, and now you look at NVIDIA and you listen to the commentary that, they've, that they're saying on their conference call last Wednesday evening regarding the use of these GPUs for AI inference and training. Uh, it really does strongly suggest that NVIDIA is becoming the architecture of choice for this for this new world that's emerging. And, and in fact, they're they're going so far as to talk about this being a new industry that they're that they're creating in, in front of our eyes. I mean, they literally use those words on the conference call. So no great surprise to see the market react strongly um, and have this stock be what powered technology stocks higher toward the end of the week and sent the market out on a new all-time high last night. Um, clearly, we've got uh, some, some positive tailwinds there. When you think about uh, some of those echoes that I talked about, you know, you can't help but draw comparisons between what's going on with NVIDIA today and what happened with Cisco in the 2000s. Cisco was a great company. They still exist today. They sell boxes that power the backbone of the internet um, and enable us to be able to have high-speed connections today. Uh, but if you think back to 99 to 2001, uh, that stock uh, still today trades at about 50% of the price that it was back then. So like you can have great companies uh, that do great things, but they end up not being great stocks because of uh, the, the the price that you have to pay to get in. The stock has gone parabolic, NVIDIA has. Uh, I, one of the lessons I learned back in the, the day, back being a tech stock analyst back then, was that you, 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 you treat parabolas very, very uh, lightly. Um, so, you know, we could see the company grow into the valuation that it's at now. That's exactly what's been happening over the last two or three quarters. Uh, but, you know, I think that what we need to see is, uh, you know, what what else? We need to see this broaden out to other, other stocks. Because uh, right now, the AI boom really seems to be concentrated in, in one name, NVIDIA, and, and it's dragging the market higher. And, you know, that isn't all that healthy. We want to see this market rally broaden out to other names uh, as we head into the middle of the year. Steve, I'm just kind of struck by some of the numbers about this company that we call NVIDIA here. I mean, the company now is closing on $2 trillion of market cap. I mean, that's not that's not any company. That's the size of a country, for gosh sakes. I mean, $2 trillion is a lot of money. And I think a year ago, it was about a quarter of that size. But you pointed out, rightly so, that um, the fundamentals have kind of allowed us to kind of feel a little bit better about maybe the move or maybe justify at least the move in stock price, right? I mean, the earnings of that company, I was looking up over a year ago, they're up three times in the last year. Profits yeah. are up like eight times. So Cisco is a good analogy. And I know there are people that are kind of making that comparison with NVIDIA today of Cisco from 25 years ago. But I remember that, you know, back 25 years ago, there was a lot of 
kind of overbuying, if you will, of some of the boxes you talked about. I mean, every telecom company that was in existence then, even if they could actually afford it or not, they were buying all kinds of Cisco gear and boxes and things like that. Do we have the same? Do we worry about the same overbuilding with respect to Nvidia? Do we are we worried about maybe at some point an inventory overhang? I mean, that that would be kind of the death knell for a company like this. I would think that the cyclicality would kind of catch up to that. Is that a risk at all? So semiconductors are notoriously cyclical, George. But what it seems like that we're in the midst of here is a is a secular birth of an industry, for lack of a better way to put it. And right now we're in the nascent adoption curve of AI. And if you look historically with technology, when you get into one of these adoption curves, the consensus consistently underestimates the amount of, of, of growth and the order of magnitude that typically happens on the upside. And that's what we've been seeing with this consistent beat and raise out of NVIDIA for the last four quarters. And in fact, if you look at the forward earnings multiple that the stock is trading at today, it's actually cheaper today than it was last June because the numbers have been coming in so strong. So, you know, I I do question how how many quarters in a row you can string together like this before you end up disappointing. Uh, but it's very clear that the the idea that uh, this is not the same uh, as what we were looking at. Cisco kind of rings true to me. I I feel like uh, this is this is a paradigm that uh, I I don't know I don't know in the tech space that we've that we've quite seen anything like it. So it's interesting. Maybe shifting gears a little bit, Rajiv. It's interesting to me to see a company, a single company, dominate so much airtime and attention amongst the investor community. So much that this one company kind of dwarfs, it kind of overshadows what's happening with central banks, right? I mean, we were talking about the Fed forever for the last year and a half or so. And now, you know, the Fed was out, you know, pretty boldly this week. And they, there were a couple of people saying some things and some reports out about prior minutes. And yet that all that kind of got dismissed when this one company kind of took over. But maybe you could kind of catch a separate G with about the what the Fed's thinking, what the Fed's doing these days, and how they're thinking about NVIDIA or how they're thinking about inflation, perhaps, maybe that more importantly. No, it's a great question, George, and it's really interesting to see that as well because uh, you know the Fed was front and center as we started the year off, and uh, and the Nvidia news that came out really did dwarf a lot of the news that was coming out of the central banks, not just the Fed but also the ECB this week. But you'll you'll notice that uh, the dislocation between the equity market and the bond market has gotten even wider now. The bonds have have struggled really uh, as we get into uh, deep into February. And what's really happened and why they've been struggling is because the Fed narrative is resonating with bond investors that, hey, maybe we're not going to get rate cuts as soon as we thought we were. Maybe we're not going to get those seven rate cuts this year. Those uh, probabilities and expectations have diminished. And, and with that diminishing of those probabilities, we've seen rates move higher. And, uh, and I think that's it's very interesting to see how, as Steve mentioned, NVIDIA is kind of dragging along the, the entire market. The bond market meanwhile is, is languishing right now. And you compare it to how we ended the year last year with November and December being so strong. And then we start this year off with uh, some of those expectations starting to move lower. Now, we did have the release of the FOMC minutes this week from the January FOMC meeting. Those minutes, if you read through them, it really points to most Fed members highlighting the risks of moving too quickly on rate cuts. The messaging was extremely clear in these minutes uh, that it's very important for the Fed to move carefully assess incoming data, and then judge whether inflation is really moving down sustainably. And I think that was a key word that I took out of those minutes, sustainably moving down to 
there was not much in the minutes that would support rate cuts coming sooner than expected. And the impact on the market has been continued, uh, this continued move higher in rates across the yield curve. Uh, there's been a continued decline in market probabilities of early rate cuts. So where we stand right now is, you know, all eyes were on March when we started the year off that maybe we'll get rate cuts in March. The probability of a rate cut in March is now 5%, so it's pretty much off the table. Even May and June probability, rate, rate cut probabilities have come down quite a bit. And right now, the market is really now pointing towards rate cuts in June or July. So with, with the, how we started the year and we had all these, uh, you know, Fed narrative, we had the Fed coming out and talking about, you know, exactly what the expectations of the market should be, that we're in no rush to cut rates. We had that to start the year off. Then we had the hot CPI print that came out where it showed that inflation actually moved higher than expectations. And then we moved down our rate cut expectations from the market. So when I mentioned we started the year off with seven rate cuts as a probability for the market, we're now down to about three or four rate cuts this year. And this is completely in line with the Fed narrative. So it's quite a move uh, from where we started the year off. Now, the Fed has little reason to cut rates sooner rather than later. Uh, they have time. They take cover in the data. Uh, I think this is a market where we're going to be looking at data. Uh, the Fed's going to be looking at data. And they're going to be really looking at that inflation uh, reports that come out to see that disinflation is actually a trend that's sustainable. We also have Fed speak this week, which kind of got dwarfed in the news as well. We had Fed Governor Waller last night come out uh, with a speech. And the speech was titled, uh, What's the Rush? Uh, he basically concluded the speech with the conclusion that recent data on inflation means that the Fed should be patient, careful, methodical, and deliberative. So if you look at those words, none of them are pointing towards early rate cuts. Uh, they're really pointing towards a, a Fed that's uh, ready to, uh, to wait and see and keep rates higher rather than uh, lower for, for now. There, nobody in the Fed or the market really was looking for a policy mistake to happen here. So there is no rush by the Fed right now. Other Fed members that came out this week, uh, Phil Jefferson came out. He talked about rate cuts are coming this year, but later this year. So every single member that we're hearing from is really sticking to the narrative that we can take time and we can uh, be patient. Uh, the market right now is anticipating 80 basis points of rate cuts for 2024. And that's not too far from where the Fed was talking about uh, with their summary economic projections of 75 basis points of rate cuts in 2024. So things are aligning right now and, and, and we continue to look at data to see if that continues. Hey, Rajiv, kind of a quick question for you. I mean, we've been arguing, I think, for much of this year that any talk around, I think at the beginning of the year, there were seven or, or so cuts that were getting priced in and we kind of thought that was too many too soon. And now that the market is kind of coming back to where the Fed is and maybe where we were as well, do you think that there's a chance the Fed might actually take a rate cut away from us? I mean, they're going to come up with their projections, what, in about a month or so, or update their projections, I should say, in a month or so. Do you think there's a chance that they might actually walk one of those cuts back? That would be a very interesting move by the Fed. I think right now, the Fed's probably all the narrative you're seeing is that they're still pointing to those three rate cuts. Uh, many Fed members have talked about 75 basis points as being the magical number there as rate cuts for this year. If they did take one off uh, and they... and I would say that it would have to happen if we had another inflation print that was hotter than expected. Uh, then you could see that happen. And I think the market reaction would be very swift. I think we'd see rates move higher. Right now, if you look at the 10-year Treasury note, we have the resistance point was a 4.3% on the 10-year yield. Uh, we passed through that yesterday, got to 4.32. We did not see buyers step in. So the point that you're making, George, that maybe the summer of economic projections that we see next month, that it's not a given that it's going to be three rate cuts or four rate cuts. It may stay status quo at three. 
but if they do turn that down to two, I think the market is not ready to jump in where we are right now with rates. So we're gonna have to keep uh, keep an eye on that. So George, let's finish with you in terms of how this information regarding the Fed and the market rally really converts into our thoughts on portfolio positioning. Yeah, sure, Brian. So I think it does kind of suggest that uh, our overall neutral stance um, is appropriate, although some could point out, probably point out the fact that if we just listened to Steve and bought one stock, we'd probably be much better off. But I think, you know, that, that kind of loses maybe the, the idea anyway, that you want to be diversified. So it's great to have one company like NVIDIA doing so well. But I think at some point, we don't know when there, there could be a tipping point. And there is a volatility component with that too, that you have to be mindful as well. So our approach of staying diversified, I think makes a lot of sense in this market. I agree with Steve that I think it would be nice to see the market broaden out a bit further. That's been kind of our, our thesis for quite some time. That hasn't happened so much this year. The market's still somewhat narrow, but um, we are seeing pockets of that on, on certain days. And I think that's going to be the case as well. And then I think quality is going to be the, the enduring theme of ours as well, both with respect to how we manage portfolios uh, uh, in, with the exposure to equities and also exposure towards fixed income. You know, quality is one thing that actually has done quite well this year, and I think that's going to be continued. Uh, there'll be a continued theme of ours going forward, also. So, I think it's the idea of, of maintaining a diversified approach, um, maintaining emphasis towards quality, and you know, the overall backdrop I, I think is pretty pretty favorable for now. You mentioned jobless claims are low. Um, we saw actually corporate bond spreads narrow a bit further this week. Um, home prices actually are are on the rise again, and inflation is cooling. So, the backdrop is pretty supportive for for general uh, risk appetite, but I think you just want to be diversified uh, and really kind of embrace this theme that you talked about, which is human ingenuity. So we'd kind of stay along innovation as well. Well, thanks for the conversation today, George, Steve, and Rajiv. We appreciate your insights. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. As always, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. Key Wealth, Key Private Bank, Key Family Wealth, Key Bank Institutional Advisors, and Key Private Client are marketing names for Key Bank National Association, or Key Bank, and certain affiliates such as Key Investment Services LLC, or KISS, and Key Corp Insurance Agency USA Inc., or KIA. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of financial professionals representing Key Bank and certain affiliates such as KISS and KIA. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice, are those of the individual authors, and may not necessarily represent the views of KeyBank or any of its subsidiaries or affiliates. This material presented is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be an offer, recommendation, or solicitation to purchase or sell any security or product or to employ a specific investment strategy. KeyBank, nor its subsidiaries or affiliates, represent, warrant, or guarantee that this material is accurate, complete, or suitable for any purpose or any investor, and it should not be used as a basis for investment decisions. It is not to be relied upon or used in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. It should not be construed as individual tax, legal, or financial advice. The summaries, prices, 
Quotes and or statistics contained herein have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but are not necessarily complete and cannot be guaranteed. They are provided for informational purposes only and are not intended to replace any confirmations or statements. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investment products, brokerage and investment advisory services are offered through KISS, member FINRA SIPC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through KIA. Insurance products offered through KIA are underwritten by, and the obligation of, insurance companies that are not affiliated with KeyBank. Investing involves risk, including potential loss of principal amount invested. There is no guarantee that investment objectives will be achieved. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Asset allocation and diversification do not guarantee returns or protect against losses. Investment and insurance products and services are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, and not insured by any federal or state government agency. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2024.